Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Always, always have the confidence to check your understanding of what your instructions are rather than go away, think you understand it, do loads of work, but then possibly get a little bit confused. Today I'm talking to Claire Hindle, Head of Legal at the National Nuclear Laboratory. Claire is based in Hale near Manchester Airport. She lives with her husband, Pete, and her two teenage sons, Charlie and James, along with her Labrador colleague, Cross Brooke. Welcome, Claire. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Um, so we want to think about your sort of journey of discovery. And I see you, you were born in the same place as me. We were both born in Croydon and you moved around in the south of England during the first part of uh, your life with your dad's job. Then you grew up in Altrincham in Cheshire. So you lived all over the country. Lived all over the country, absolutely. Moved around with my parents and my younger brother and then settled in Altrincham in the mid-80s and, and was schooled there at the local girls' convent grammar school and then pretty much stayed northwest-based after that. And what were your sort of favourite subjects at school there? Oh, definitely music. Absolutely loved it, yeah. So I was very much into my piano, singing, orchestral. I was... Never played an orchestral instrument as such, but I, I played the triangle and the drums and whatever, just to be part of the group and very much into amateur dramatics as well. So, uh, yeah, it was, that, was, that was my passion. And I guess that's what led you to uh, read music and, and French. Yes, uh, very much so. Yes, off I went to Sheffield to study uh, the dual honours, but then realised quite early on that, yes, despite loving music and enjoying the language of French. I wasn't sure where that was actually going to take me. And uh, fortunately, my A-levels had, had been good and allowed me to therefore then go and have a chat with the guys at Sheffield and say, any chance I could change to do law, please? Because that was something that I'd always had in the back of my mind as to whether one day I would, I would pursue a career in law. I had a number of friends who were studying law and so I'd actually gone along to some law lectures and sat there in the back you know just thinking wow yeah actually this is this is it so I did feel a little bit disloyal to the friends that I'd made you know doing the music and the French but it was I knew that that wasn't what I ultimately wanted to wanted to do it had been a great hobby but not my not for my career so then I then had to take a year out. The law lecturers said that I'd missed too much of the first, first term. So they wouldn't let me just start back in January. So I had to take a year out, just base myself in the Northwest with a couple of jobs and then restarted doing the three-year law degree a year later. How did you feel about that? Because it's quite, a sort of year feels like a, lot, a sort of long time at that age, doesn't it? 
It felt like a real backward step, you know, because I'd fled the nest in terms of, you know, left mum and dad. I'd always wanted to go to university, but I was very apprehensive about going. So I'd obviously got over the initial stage of, oh, leaving home. But then once I'd got to uni, I'd absolutely loved it, you know, really embraced uni life, student, student life, and then found myself back home with mum and dad, the younger brother, the rules and regulations as to what goes with home. All my friends weren't around because they were all at university. So that was quite a miserable time. So I just had to keep myself busy with you know, sports and music and travel. And I just spent a lot of weekends going to see friends who were at the different unis. So it was fine. And, but you're right, it did, it did seem, it felt quite a long time to not be able to get back on track. But the right, but the right decision none, nonetheless. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's good, that's good. And I saw that you were very involved in the Edward Bramley Law Society. I, I hate to say I can't actually recall who Edward Bramley was, but he was obviously very famous in Sheffield. And um, he, that there, there was a society that um, I was elected as chair of um, by my peers, which was, which was great. And um, it was a society that... Um, Primarily, we did some charity fundraising, but we also um, arranged for speakers to come and talk to the uh, law students. Um, this was always at night time. Uh, so, for instance, we had a we got a forensic medic to come in and talk to us about how to um, how he worked to reconstruct faces of decomposed bodies who they couldn't identify who that person was, and he had developed this amazing setup where you could um he used almost like little sticks that attached into the sockets around the the skull and then he built it up with plasticine and then you could actually create a proper face and then you could then try and identify who the person was so people like that would come and talk to us and um then the best thing was that we used to get a free dinner at the end of it by being on the society and uh, so that was great but we also we organized the law ball and it was primarily um, a, a social committee that was uh, uh, that was um, set up in Sheffield. It sounded like all sorts of interesting speakers, probably opening up all sorts of different thoughts about law and where it's applied and how it's applied and all of that. Absolutely, absolutely. Because, of course, within your law degree, you have to do specific subjects, but it was always just really interesting to then see how other people operate. A law degree is a great degree to do, even if you don't want to do ultimately carry on with law and I would say a third of the law students never went on to do law they would go and do management programs and you know we were always asked by like big big employers to to come and join their recruit uh, their graduate recruitment plan so how do you think you changed was it a three-year degree four-year degree three three-year degree and then you do a year at law school afterwards so it's that four years yeah when you compare the Claire that sort of went to do music and the, and the Claire at the end of those four years. How do you think you changed as a person? Oh, goodness. I think I, I think ultimately me, my character, I don't think changed. I was obviously apprehensive about leaving home and going away. So I think obviously I'd become far more independent, learned to manage my finances, what little I had of them. And just generally, I, I think probably formed closer friendships. I think there was more time when you're at university to build proper 
long-term relationships. School was always seemed quite frantic and whereas the university seemed a little bit slower pace of life so there was more time. Those friendships at university they last a lifetime I found. Oh yeah well that's lovely to hear I mean me too you know it's so lovely to have the reunions and catch up. So then you you went and you uh, were a trainee solicitor at Slater Helis so tell me about your first day. Part of me was so excited. I went in on the tram into Manchester, all smartly dressed in the new suit that I'd bought the weekend before with my mum. And uh, there was, so there was an element of, right, gosh, maybe I look the part, I look smart, etc. But then it was, oh, crikey, what do I actually know? And, you know, I've passed all these exams, I, but what do I know in practice? How am I going to do it? And I got there and everybody was very friendly, but there was still that, um, you, you are then immediately assigned to work with um, a partner and a senior partner at that. And I think this guy seemed really old at the time. It was probably only mid forties, but my goodness, I thought, oh dear, you know, this is, we're not going to have much in common, but he was ever so kind. And I think it was just, it was a nervous day, but exhilarating and like, wow, this is what I've worked for and this is finally happening. You get there and everybody seems so competent and confident and because they've been, they've been working in that environment for a long, long time, whereas you as the new person, you're just about starting, you're just starting out. It's all, it all feels very new. It's all new, isn't it? So, so were there any particular cases that you worked on that really caught your imagination and your interest? I, I found out early on I wasn't really going to be a litigator as such. So, and that I wasn't a, the the firm that I worked for was not really like your traditional buying and selling of houses type law firm. So it was very much more corporate finance led. So it was transactions, helping companies, owners of companies sell their companies, have investment in their companies. I think one that really stood out for me was the excitement of working in London where it was, uh, we acted for Air Tours, which people may remember as uh, you know, a very large holiday company. And they were carrying out a hostile takeover of First Choice, uh, another travel company. And that was terribly exciting at that stage in my career to be involved in an exercise called verification where you have to essentially ensure that in any public document, you can back up every statement that's made. So you have to have a file verifying that, I don't know, Mr. Smith is 48. You have to de demonstrate you've got a copy of his birth certificate, for example, to show that you've got that evidence. And it, it, was, it was a fascinating, it was like six week program working down in London. And yeah, that was a really exciting time. Uh, what, what did you find difficult? What challenges did you face in that? that first stage? I think feeling that I should know all the answers because I'd been employed and they, I'd, I'd managed to get a job where so many people hadn't got, been successful in that job application. So I think there was a reluctance or a nervousness on my part to actually ask a question and check that I had understood what was being asked of me because for fear of thinking that that might be seen as incompetence, whatever. And I so wish I could say to myself now, always, always have the confidence to check 
your understanding of what your instructions are rather than go away, think you understand it, do loads of work, but then possibly get a little bit confused. So it's having the confidence to say, actually, can I just run that by you again? I just want to clarify that I'm a, I understand what you've asked me to do. And that's where I think I did find that quite hard at the outset. You know, and actually, it's quite good if, if meetings are a little bit tense. It's quite a good technique, I found. So let me just repeat what I think I've heard you say. You know, it, um, it does help, doesn't it, that sort of understanding? Very much so to make sure that you have you are fully aligned and you you do understand what 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 is being asked. Yeah. And nobody minds either, do they? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so then you so then you moved to a much larger law firm. Yes. Um, Shaw Goddard. So what was the sort of motivation for the move and how did you find that transition? I think I'd always thought that I would like to go and work in London and be um, work for one of the really big law firms. I think just to prove to myself that I could do it. But actually then I I settled a little bit more in the northwest. I, I I bought my own home and thought right well actually I don't want to now move away but I want to have the challenge of a of a large a large firm originally I'd applied to Adult Shores right at the outset um, when I'd been applying for my training contract and they had offered me a training contract but I declined it thinking I'd rather start my training in a smaller firm and you know feel a little bit like a a big fish in a small pond rather than the other way around and then I then felt confident enough to join Adelshaws, which had a huge corporate finance practice. And that was what I realised I wanted to do and specialise in mergers and acquisitions and venture capital work. And that was that was where I, I felt my destiny was. I was just thinking about a small firm compared with a large firm. What was the sort of difference in culture or practice? Did Were there, were there differences? I think from memory, it seemed to be that the smaller firm did seem more familial and everybody knew each other. The larger firms, you know, you're just the size of the building that you're based in, floor by floor by floor. It was often, you often could walk along corridors not recognising people. But I always adopted the phrase, I just thought, if I smile and say hello, you do ultimately build relations with these different teams. And I think because of the nature of the work I did as well, corporate finance does involve all the different departments. So you liaise heavily with the intellectual property team, the employment team, the tax team. So you do get to know people, but often a smile and a hello worth wonders. And it, and it does mean that you ultimately do meet more people. So I didn't feel that there was, it was that culturally different. And so then from there, you, you moved to the National Nuclear Laboratory, which sounds like a very big sort of check. Yes. What was the thinking behind that? Moment? Well, actually, Andrew, before I moved to the National Nuclear Laboratory, I went to work for an entrepreneur straight from Adelshaws and I had a couple of years with him and his variety of different businesses, which was terribly exciting working for an individual like that. Then I had my family, my two boys, and I took a bit of time out and then a job became available at National Nuclear Laboratory and I went for interview and was successful. It was a very, very big change, but it was something that I really wanted to do. I, I find working within a business is very, very different from working within 
private practice of a law firm because working within a business you are fully aware of the business's desires drivers requirements issues you're not just being asked on an ad hoc basis claire we need your help in doing this you are part of the team you're collaboratively working with everybody and i can i can imagine there must be a huge contrast between working for an entrepreneur it must be bubbling with ideas and new startups and maybe all sorts of things to a nuclear organization which uh, operates in a much more kind of procedural steady organized manner you know driven by you know safety requirements you know overriding risk averse whereas the entrepreneur i imagine was up for risks in a managed way i guess absolutely and that that was a huge change but one that you know working for an entrepreneur meant that you were on call all the time he was what's known in the trade as a fiscal nomad he had made his wealth which meant that he then didn't live within the uk so he lived on a super yacht around which was moored around the world and he had so many different businesses of all of which i was either company secretary of and so he had a dating agency he had a hedge fund business he had an aviation flying school purchased a a frigate from the Irish Navy, which he then ultimately converted into a super yacht down in uh, Poland. So a lot of my work was very much, I had to travel an awful lot. My time wasn't really my own. So it was unsustainable for forever, certainly once I had had a family. And so I, part of me was craving regulation slightly slower pace so actually it was nnl was exactly the right place for me at that time there were time there are times still where i would like to see pace increased but i recognize that obviously regulatory issues procedural issues are absolutely critical for our business to behave in a, in a manner that is required of us means that things have to be done slower. We can't just click a finger and buy something. We have to adhere to our EU procurement regs. There are all sorts of rules that we have to abide by. So can I, can I ask, you, you took time out to have your family. So was the, the decision to come back into employment, how did you, how did you find, find that? I'd be interested to other people about you know when they took maternity leave and so on and the sort of impact it had on them and on their career how, how was that sort of for you i think my children are born very closely together and i think part of me wanted to be at home but part of me felt that if i could find a role that could be that could allow me to spend family time and work part-time certainly initially whilst they were very young was my ideal which was where starting at NNL which was initially only two days a week was a very very lucky introduction for me back into work so it served its purpose perfectly for me I craved being in a professional environment I craved being out of the house using my brain but equally by only doing the two days initially it allowed me then to still fulfill my dream of being a good mom at home. And so it was nerve wracking returning. I had only been out of the 
working environment probably for about a year so it wasn't too long but nevertheless it was a big it was a big change from the original role that I'd been performing before I'd had the children and um so when you when you look back on your sort of career so far is there a particular moment or a particular event which you think really impacted your career I think without a shadow of a doubt it was the telephone call from the entrepreneur saying come and work for me because if I'd stay if I hadn't have had that I then would have presumably carried on in private practice which would have been a very fulfilling career but I think the the benefits to me of working within a business understanding its needs working with all the different teams within a business feeling that you are all pulling together to achieve one common goal you don't really get that when you're working within private practice and you're working ad hoc for different clients so everybody within NNL is ultimately my client they can come and ask me and give me instructions they can engage with me but essentially we're all working within one one business and I think that had I not made the jump in house with to, to move to work for the entrepreneur I possibly might never have done in which case I wouldn't now be at NNL so I do think it was a pivotal moment and gave you a range and a breadth of experience yeah that you would have wouldn't have had in over two years anywhere else probably I'd never I'd never have got that experience ever no and it was it was fabulous and a lot of those skills that you learn through dealing with an individual who obviously never took no for an answer and why can't we do it and we've got to be able to do it and so you had to always be very innovative and creative in your approaches and that always makes you then think in a much more can-do attitude and a positive thinking than right no you can't do it you can't do it and so because my biggest fear is, is being viewed as a blocker and legal you know you know so it's and so I always try and think how can we how can we achieve the end game how can we achieve the goal and I'm sure that that's been learned I've learned that from working for him and it's and it's actually so important in, in an industry like the nuclear industry because there are things we need to do differently and there is a sort of you know an end in mind and it's the question of not we can't do it but how is, is how do we do it in in a safe legal proper way to get the outcome that benefits you know society ultimately isn't it Yes, it is. Let's think how we can how we can get there. It might require different different routes, but ultimately there's always a way. And if there isn't, it wasn't the right thing to do. So therefore, we have to move on. So thinking back to uh, the young Claire who was leaving home to go and do music and French at Sheffield, <laughs> what would be your advice to her now? It would be. Never be fearful of putting your hand up. Always admit a mistake straight away because otherwise it festers and you worry and it then becomes a bigger problem. Never, never be afraid to just say because there will, people always respect. Mistakes happen. They do happen. And it's then ways of dealing with it after. I think I was a little bit more nervous then to say that but now very much oops made an error let's move on that type of thing what i'd say is 
essentially I think there's a be kind as well to people because often you never know when you're going to meet meet those people that you meet very early on in your career they seem to come round again and again and you know it's worth not making any enemies it's always worth and as I said right at the start you know saying hello works wonders and a smile and it's always just worth recognizing that Oh, that's great advice. Claire, thanks so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our chat. You're very welcome. I've thoroughly enjoyed it too. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.